0: Latest presentation at the Hoover History Working Group is by Kyle Harper, and I'm looking forward to it with great excitement. Kyle is Professor of Classics and Letters and Senior Vice President and Provost at the University of Oklahoma. Uh, His books uh, include Slavery in the Late Roman World, From Shame to Sin, and most recently, The Fate of Rome. And uh, he's probably... Uh, be better positioned than most historians to comment on the impact of COVID-19 because the impact of plagues on the Roman Empire has been one of his uh, preoccupations as a scholar. So, welcome to a virtual Hoover, uh, Kyle, and it's uh, it's great to have you. I'm really keen to 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 hear what what you're going to be telling us. I'm a a modernist uh, never really got to grips with ancient history even as an undergraduate at Oxford. Uh, but I do know that the Roman Empire experienced two of the biggest plagues in, in all of history and they had a pretty big impact on the empire. So why don't you help uh, me and, and other people watching this with a quick introduction to plagues and the Romans. Thanks. And
1: I think that as a as a Roman historian, it's something that I've I've I think come to appreciate is that uh, not every period of history is equally affected by pandemic disease. And so, as historians, I think we have um, an important task to try and um, zoom out and to think comparatively. And when we do so, I think it helps see that um, the the environment particularly the disease environment, was uh, a major part of the course of Roman history, particularly later Roman history. So the period spanning really from the the height of the Roman Empire's power in the 2nd century AD um, over the the coming four centuries or so to the the kind of period when the Roman Empire falls apart, comes back together again, falls apart again. Uh, The Emperor Justinian tries to put the Empire back together again. Um, But in fact, the efforts to do so are really Um, devastated by the arrival of the bubonic plague, the same germ that caused the Black Death. So um, diseases are important players in human history, and um, I think they they play a different role in different societies, and um, I've come to believe that the Romans um, faced a particularly lethal series of pandemic events in the later parts of their imperial history.
0: And the big ones, you've mentioned the later one, the, the plague of Justinian, Uh, which is around 541, 542 AD. The earlier one is is usually referred to as the Antonine Plague, and that's from 165 AD to, I don't know, around 180, and that's really something that you've uh, spent some time on. Your argument, I think, is that that was a a smallpox outbreak, a really massive smallpox outbreak, right? Right.
1: And and I have to hedge that about some... because exciting things happening in the field of history right now is the, the opportunity to work with microbiologists, paleo, genetics, experts. Uh, and in some cases, like the Justinianic plague, there is now no doubt that it was caused by the the plague bacteria. But with the Antonine plague, we don't yet have the, the smoking gun. Um, and so um, that's, that's an exciting challenge that maybe archaeologists will be able to recover the, the genome, the pathogen that caused it, and certainly several archaeological groups and labs have tried, but nobody's got it yet. Um, uh, I think there's a chance that eventually we will get it, but, um, but otherwise we have to rely on ancient descriptions of the disease, and that's a, a fairly imperfect science because they had different vocabulary, different cultural paradigms, they didn't think in terms of germs, uh, and so... It, it means that there's inevitably going to be some doubt, but it's certainly most people who've worked on the sources think that smallpox is the likeliest candidate, uh, but but we won't know until we get that smoking gun. Uh, but it was a terrible disease with high fatality rates that spread very quickly, clearly caused kind of black pustular rash covering the whole body uh, and relatively slowly as, as smallpox infections do. So. Um, it's not a hundred percent, but um, if I if I had to guess, that'd be that'd be my best one.
0: One of the things I've been encouraged to do by popular writers on on Roman history, like Mary Beard and, and Tom Holland, is to is to keep reminding myself how very different life was, and uh, to resist the Hollywood temptation to assume that the Romans were just people like us in togas. The the, the striking thing you point out in your work is just how how short life expectancy was in the Roman Empire. Right, I mean, partly because of the,
1: the somewhat idealization of the classical cultures. Um, and I think partly because when we imagine the Romans, we think first and foremost, probably of the, the ruins, that um, you can still see the remains of the temples of the Colosseum or the victory arches. Um, and um, the the Romans that we think we know best are usually the the aristocracy, people like Julius Caesar. but um, I think all of that combined makes it easy to forget sometimes that uh, the Roman Empire was uh, an underdeveloped society it was a pre industrial society, it was a Malthusian society, and um, most people were were desperately poor and lived. Um, lives that were full of uncertainty uh, and faced a tremendous infectious disease burden. So um, we have little insights into to what uh, life expectancy was like in the Roman Empire. As, as you might imagine, 2,000 years ago, it can, um, it can be a little bit hard to know. But the Roman state was a fairly sophisticated state and took censuses um, and uh, piecing together fragments of the Roman census records, um, demographic historians investigated. The life expectancy of an empire at birth was sometime in the, the early to mid-20s. Um, I don't think we can be much more precise than that, but it gives you a sense that this was a, uh, a pre-industrial society where life was very short. Then I think one of the things that's happened that's very interesting in recent years is the the way that bioarchaeology can help us piece together uh, other parts of the pole. And so bones are a, a kind of historical record of a population's health. and you can tell a lot about a person 's person 's bone uh, bones about whether or not they uh, had adequate nutrition about what kind of diseases they face um, and the The skeletal evidence from the Roman Empire suggests that this was uh, even by pre industrial standards uh, quite a quite a diseased and stressed population so one of the phenomena that 's very um, apparent throughout Roman history is that um, the the Romans got shorter, um, so they were shorter than the people that Um, that lived in Italy before them, they were shorter than the um, people of the early Middle Ages. So through some combination of poor nutrition and heavier disease burden, um, the the Roman Empire was not good for your health. Um, So it's it's an interesting way in which we're learning things that we didn't know, uh, and which we can sort of get at these big questions of the the big history of human disease.
0: So the question that I've been asked probably most often in the last five months has been, well, what will the impact of COVID-19 be on A, uh, the economy, B, the political system, C, the international order? And uh, as historians, we actually have some uh, competence to answer that question, uh, because we've studied the impact of big pandemics uh, on other societies. So what's your, your your takeaway from the impact of these two big pandemics on, on, on the Roman empire? Is there a sort of, is there a simple law that says if you're hit by a pandemic, your, your complex society or empire, your nation state will be in some ways destabilized or is that an oversimplification? Well, it's a, it's such a great question. And to me, one of the,
1: the exciting, um, things that that you know history is very relevant uh, in in this time, and um, certainly um, the the history of pandemics um, have been on everyone's mind I think it's a great opportunity for historians to contribute uh, a lot to the to the public discourse because if we only take as our time horizon the last thirty or forty years it's such a small sample um, and pandemic disease has been a part of human civilization for as far back as there was anything resembling human civilization. Um, and from my perspective, in the, in the long run, um, when you think on very long timescales, these kinds of biological shocks to the system are one of the really recurring sources of instability. Um, and so I think as general as that is, I think it's quite important that um, that we remember that human societies are fundamentally ecological and biological systems and they are um, in some ways predictably um, if um, if it's very hard to be precise, going to be disrupted by biological change. And um, the more we can understand the, the nature of human diseases and why they happen, how they're controlled um, or not controlled, I think we can um, get a deeper perspective on this particular moment. Um, obviously the Roman world was, was very different from our world, but, um, but a Roman society that was at its height of power and prosperity was struck out of nowhere by a, a plague event. That's one of the things I think that's really important about the Antonine Plague is that the Roman Empire had not started to fall apart. It had not started to decline. Um, it struck it really at the, the height of its um, power and prosperity. And actually, the Roman Empire was able to, to put the pieces together um, pretty well afterwards. Um, the, the, um, the imperial system uh, was able to regenerate um, and to recover and to get its feet back um, in that instance. So I think we have examples of societies that are able to, to endure these kind of very profound demographic um, events. Um, And then only a few generations later, there was another uh, outbreak of a pestilence. It was a pandemic. It struck all over the Roman Empire. And this is called the Plague of Cyprian in the 250s. And it was one part of uh, a much more multifaceted crisis that became a monetary crisis, that became a legitimacy crisis, um, that became a geopolitical crisis when the Roman Empire was invaded across two frontiers. And in that case, the Roman Empire fell apart um, and, in fact, it... um, in some ways, has been called the first fall of the Roman Empire. I think is a very accurate description. It gets put back together by people like Diocletian and Constantine, but it's quite a different empire when it's reassembled. Um, and I think there's an example of a of a biological event that didn't happen in isolation um, and uh, and it proved to be overwhelming to the Roman Empire's systems of resilience. and um, so I think again, at a high level of generality, societies have the capacity to endure these kinds of disease shocks. Um, but they also can, can um, overwhelm a society's ability to resist them. And particularly when they coincide with monetary crisis or legitimacy crisis, um, then they, they can prove devastating. And their impacts, um, I think, Um, are felt exponentially. And so um, what you don't want to have is a biological shock that um, compounds um, a legitimacy crisis. And um, just think of our own constitutional order. It's so um, dependent on this kind of paper-thin social trust and social capital and um, good behavior of um, officials who command armies. Um, And I think nothing would be more worrisome for um, our contemporary context than a real legitimacy crisis of, of a kind that we haven't seen in um, over a century uh, in this country. So um, I, I think history can can at least help us look at it with a, a deeper perspective and to know that we're hardly the first society to, um, to go through one of these kinds of shocks, um, and we can look back at at the 1950s, at the 1918-19 pandemics, as you've done, and uh, I think come away with a a deeper and richer sense of the the different ways that um, these disease events can have ramifications within our social and political orders.
0: Well, I want to take the opportunity to recommend an excellent essay that you published in Foreign Policy magazine a couple of months ago, I think now, uh, in which you made the very important point that uh, it rather depends on the robustness of institutions, how disruptive a, a, a plague can, can be. Not, not every society was destabilized by uh, the Black Death. And, uh, and you, you, you said something which I, I'm going to quote here because it seemed very insightful to me. This new disease, meaning COVID-19, strikes at the heart of our interdependent global order. It's breaking new grounds, the first global pandemic of the social media age, our age of cultural and political polarization. And consequently, it has its own aesthetic, its own feel. It's a novel economic challenge in so many ways. Our hyper-efficient labor markets, so reliant on gig jobs, our long, intricate and just-in-time supply chains, our highly leveraged economy with extreme dependence on consumer, corporate and sovereign debt. None of these systems have faced a disruption like the COVID-19 pandemic. And that, that was writing a couple of months ago. Um, I wonder if in my last question, I can tempt you to update your thinking because it seems to me that since you wrote those words, we've come a lot closer to the kind of political legitimacy crisis that you mm-hmm. just alluded to.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think I, when I was writing that, what struck me as a historian is how the, the sort of pre-modern um, plagues or pestilences um, tended to have their greatest effect through the demographic channel. And so you would lose 10, 20, in the case of the bubonic plagues, 50, 60% of the population. Uh, And so in some ways, it's easy to understand how stabilizing that sort of event could be to suddenly lose half the population. Um, It'd be impossible for things not to be different um, on the next day. Whereas the, the absolute demographic impact of COVID-19 is very likely going to be you know, very, very minimal compared to those historical events. And yet it still feels like this shock to our system. And so I was trying to think through why is this such a shock to our system? And I think um, part of the reason is economic financial, the nature of, of 21st century capitalism and the particular ways that this... Uh, event, uh, this disease seems to disrupt the sort of supply chains and service industries, and all the, all the sort of um, implicit assumptions of the way our economy works have been, have to be rethought and have been challenged by this. I mean, will will corporate. Culture will meetings be the be the same um, in a post-COVID world? Uh, who knows? But but I think that's um, what makes it so destabilizing. And as you say, the um, when that was published in early April, I think it would have been impossible to predict exactly what direction the the political crisis might come from. Um, but um, here we are in, in June, and we know that um, COVID didn't create um, the the racial challenges and racial tensions in this country, um, there there clearly is some way in which the, the experience of our society in the COVID pandemic has now intersected with the, um, the very real racial challenges that we face as a society. And um, I think when historians look back on this in 10, 20 years, whatever happens in the next year or two, either with the disease or with, um, say, the elections or police reforms, I think it'd be impossible to, to tell the story of 2020 without really trying to, to account for the strange and unpredictable ways in which a little virus that infects bats um, somewhere in southern China um, happened to have the right molecules to connect to a, a human enzyme, um, and it's changed the course of, uh, of race relations in this country. That's, that's just so extreme. Ordinarily, really, to, to think about how interconnected um, the biological and the political have become and yet i think that's a that's a pattern of human history um i, I think um, we can look back and we see we can easily find other instances where um change in the disease environment stirs and sparks change in our political and social um, structures
0: well carl as as one of those rare historians uh who likes writing about the American empire. I'm especially excited to hear more about what the Roman empire can, can teach us. I'm uh, really grateful to you for making the time to do this short interview and also for presenting to our, our working group uh, later on today. Uh, I'm looking forward to that hugely. And uh, once again, thanks so much. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it.